Verse 3 says, And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews of the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. And he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say unto the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe upon the slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he saith unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then ye shall know it, that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and ride upon it for Judah and for his children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and ride upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel and his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. And the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Will thou not show us what thou meanest by thee? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereupon thou ridest shall be in thy hand before their eyes. <clears throat> And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountain of Israel. And one king shall be to them all, and they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them so they shall be my people and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them and they all shall have one shepherd and they also they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and your children's children forever, and my servant David shall be prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and I shall be an everlasting covenant with them. 
and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever more. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Son of man, can these bones live? And tonight we preach on dry bones and a couple of sticks. The two illustrations that we have here in Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, I do really like this chapter. It's a very uh, striking to the imagination if you just try to picture what it was that Ezekiel saw here, especially the first part of that first illustration. When the boys were little, I had uh, Gustav Doré's uh, painting, The Vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, as a screensaver on my phone. and They kind of got kicked to that, sparked their imagination, see those bones, the army of skeletons and so forth. It's kind of creepy in the, in the way young people like those spooky stories, but, but if you just kind of picture what Ezekiel would have saw and what that represented, it would have been somewhat terrifying to, to behold that, that valley. But this story has a happy ending. Um, as, as we read there, uh, it's got a good illustration um, for what God was instructing the people. God called Ezekiel to go to a valley. And it was an awful sight. It was a valley full of dead men's bones. Not just one or two strewn about, but it was a valley of a multitude of the skeletons. There they laid on the ground, parched bones, dry as dirt. Without the dignity of a burial, just laid as they were killed and rotted away. And so as Ezekiel is looking about this valley, he sees the rib cages and um, the, the skulls and the, the arms and the dried up fingers. And it had been an awful sight to behold to see all this death and, and destruction. Well, God asked Ezekiel a question. Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And I think Ezekiel was playing it safe when he said, Thou knowest, because maybe Ezekiel wanted to say, Well, no, Lord, they can't live. But then maybe he thought, Well, I'm talking to God, and there's a reason why he's asking me this. I've already seen so much and heard so much in my life. Um, I've seen the visions that you read in Ezekiel chapter 1. So I'm not going to say no even though I don't see how any way the bones could live. So I'll just say, well, you know the answer, Lord. Um, because obviously bones can't live, but God can do whatever he pleases. So it was a sort of playing it safe kind of answer. And the Lord told Ezekiel, he said, well, prophesy to the bones. Oh, ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Because the Lord would give these bones life again. Now that would be an odd task for Ezekiel to do, to go and start talking to these skeletons. You might go out to a cemetery, you might see somebody talking there in the cemetery, and they're talking to their loved one, their dearly departed, um, talking to the gravestone, but, but you know they're not there. Their body's beneath the dirt, but, but they are not there in that place. And they can't hear, and you'd be terrified if they answered you back. But Ezekiel's here preaching to, to inanimate objects. 
I felt like that sometimes um, at a Bible conference or something. If I'm preaching first after lunch and we had a, a big feast for lunch and everybody's hot and tired and uh, everybody's sleepy, I feel sometimes I feel like, well, I don't even know if I'm preaching to people who were conscious or not. Well, Ezekiel certainly wasn't. He was preaching to skeletons. But God told him to do it, and so he did it. Well, suddenly there was a noise. So here Ezekiel is preaching, and there's a noise, there's a rumbling in the valley. And those bones began to move. Imagine that skull, the back of the skull that you saw there all of a sudden roll over, and now that skull is looking right towards Ezekiel, and the bones began to reassemble right before his very eyes. The vertebrae connecting the, the, the cold black eye sockets, the bare teeth showing, looking right at him, moving on his own, arms joining together, hands and fingers reforming. Then muscle and flesh and ligaments and cartilage began to reform. And so now uh, the, the, the flesh and the tissue starts covering the bones. Well, I guess at least they weren't skeletons, but I don't know. That might have been more terrifying to see the, the exposed tissues and so forth before the skin. And, and there they were. Now it was a valley of corpses. So I guess bright side, he's not looking at the bones anymore, but it's a valley of corpses. And the Lord said, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, saying to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon the slain that they may live. And so Ezekiel obeyed. And Ezekiel preached to the corpses, and the men, men began to breathe. And they began to move about. And they stood up. And now in this army, which was once a, a valley of death, um, now there's a great army here of soldiers who have been born again. They were dead, and now that they live. Well, that have been something else for sure for Ezekiel to see. What an amazing uh, scene that he had just witnessed. But what was the point of it? Why did God put Ezekiel through this exercise? What was the point of this passage? Is there only one point to this passage? Well, I think the Lord is telling us a lot of things in this passage. Um, and I think sometimes you know, we might, in a zeal to get, be faithful to the text, impose rules on a passage of Scripture that God doesn't impose, maybe like that a text can only mean one thing. Now, it can't mean two contradictory things. This passage can't mean two contradictory things, but it can mean more than one thing. That's how, I mean, that's just how language works. A man could go in and say, uh, honey, have you seen my coat? Look around the house. Have you seen my coat? And then the wife says, well, I picked it up out of the middle of the floor where you left it, and I hung it up in the closet where it belongs. Now, she answered the question, but she was saying more than one thing in her answer, wasn't she? And But many husbands fall into the hermeneutical problem of only hearing one message, right? The, well, the jacket's in the closet, and that was the message. Where the, the real man message was, yes, I know where your coat is because I found it where it shouldn't have been, and I placed it where it belongs, like you should have done, and then that way you wouldn't have to ask me. <laughs> right, so that might have been many messages in one sentence. So, uh, so my point is, language, we can say more than one thing, 
and have more than one point to what we're trying to say. And I think that's what's happening here. There is more than one point to this. There, there are some people that say it only talks about Israel. And it doesn't talk about anything else because we can only apply the scripture as Ezekiel would have understood it. But I don't believe that to be the case. I think there are many things that God tells us in this. And there are many points to this because God himself tells us there's more than one point to this. So I believe there are many truths taught in these two illustrations. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. First, we're going to look at the dry bones and see the point, the the truths that God teaches us there. And then look look at the, the sticks and see the truths there. <clears throat> well, one message that God has is for us is to have faith in him. Verse number six tells us that whenever the, the sinews and the flesh cover the skin, at the end of verse number six, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So God put Ezekiel through this and gave him this vision for the purpose that he would know that he is God. That's what God says here. That, that he says that this is the reason. I want you to know that I am the Lord. Jehovah is God. Not the gods of Babylon. Not the gods of the captivity. Not the false gods of the heathen. I am God. And there is no other God. There is no other God that can bring life from the dead. The God that you worship Jehovah is the true and living God. So one point of this message is to strengthen the faith of Ezekiel and strengthen the faith of all the people who would hear this thereafter. It strengthens our faith to read this passage and know that the answer is, yes, Lord, these bones can live if that's what you will them to do. Ezekiel learned to trust God and that nothing is impossible with him. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. There is no request that is in the will of God that is outside the realm of possibility. Now, there are, we're not even going to get into the absurdities that people might ask for, but in, according to the will of God, now God's not going to lie and God's not going to sin and God's not going to go against his nature, but, but if it is the Lord's will, there is nothing that is impossible. The disciples asked once, well, Lord, if these rich men can't go, it's hard for these rich men to go to heaven. Who, who could go to heaven? Well, with men, it's impossible. But when it comes to salvation and with God, all things are possible. There is no wayward sinner that is too far deep into his sin that the Lord um, cannot deliver and cannot save. There is no backslidden Christian that is too far um, down in the mire that the Lord cannot restore and bring back his prodigals. Nothing is too difficult for God. It's impossible for Ezekiel to preach to these bones and for them to come back to life, but it was no more difficult for God to give these bones life than it was for him to speak and say, let there be light and bring light into existence or to bring the universe into existence or in, uh, to, to create whales and sharks and and giraffes, and trees, and, and to, to create all the things he does. Nothing is too difficult for God to do. So, we have this vision, and we think about this. One, one truth that God teaches us here is that he is God. 
know that our God is the Lord. Another point in the passage was giving God's people hope in exile. So they have been, uh, Ezekiel was a, an exile prophet. The people were far from home. But this, these visions here were to remind people that God's faithful to his promise. This text provides God's people assurance that the Lord will not forsake them in their darkest trials. Ezekiel didn't want to be a, a captive. He did not want to go through the hardships of captivity. He didn't want to go through the persecution that the people faced. But they were there because of their sin. And so when Ezekiel considered this and considered what God was telling him, it was a reminder that God is faithful to keep his word. God had not forgotten his people in their dark times, in their dark situations. We can take heart when we read this and say God didn't forget his people in the Old Testament. He doesn't forget his people in our day and time. That God doesn't send his people into to dark troubles and dark times and forsake them. Israel, the people of Israel were suffering, but it was according to God's purpose. God had warned them what would happen if they forsook him and went to other gods, and, and that's exactly what happened. He told them if they, they continued in their wicked ways that he would send them into captivity, and that's exactly what happened. They were suffering as God had foretold and suffering according to God's purpose. And so as God's people suffered here, those who truly looked to God and believed in God and had faith in God could look at this and say, this is part of God's purpose. I don't like this. I wish it weren't so. But God has not forgotten us in our suffering. God has not forgotten us in our dark times. God's people, even in our darkest trials, can know that the Lord is God and the Lord is faithful to his promises. He doesn't forget his people. So when they heard Ezekiel preaching this message, that was another point. God doesn't forget his people. Verses 11 through 14, we find another point to this, another truth here, that the whole house of Israel, in verse number 11, the bones, that's what they represent, the whole house of Israel. The bones were dried and their hope was lost and were cut off out of our parts. They were dry and dead and divided. So after Solomon, the kingdom divided, you had the northern kingdom and the, the, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom just consistently off into idolatry to the point to where they had just been uh, decimated, then you have uh, Judah continued on and followed their wicked path, and now uh, they were in captivity. So you had two nations where there should have been one, two people where there should have been one, and now uh, no nation for either one of them, dispersed and exiled, dead and dry. Can these bones live? Well, of course not. But God says he will, He's going to do the seemingly impossible and bring this country back to bring the two kingdoms back in not only back to life but back to existence and put them back together 
back in the land that he promised Abraham and David. Now to tell this to Ezekiel, at his time, that would have been just as unlikely a situation as those skeletons coming back to life. I mean, it's just not a likely situation. Not, not something that uh, you would ever consider uh, would happen again. Looking at the situation from, as a man. But God said, I'm going to keep my promise. This nation is going to live again. God keeps his promise. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So, one reason why, verse 14, the Lord says that he's going to do this. So when it's accomplished, you'll know that the Lord spoke it. The Lord performed it. Just like the Lord said he was going to do. The Lord promised. The Lord did it. And the Lord told us he was going to do it. He promised to David. He promised to Abraham. He promised um, to, to various prophets in, in Israel. He said, I, I've already said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then you can come back and see where I said, I told you I was going to do it. God keeps his promises. And this is one of the main reasons why I'm a premillennialist. Because I believe God keeps his promise. I think that's a good, good basis for, um, for premillennialism is that God keeps his word. Now, some people look at this text and, and they'll say, well, this is just allegory talking about the church and so forth. Well, the Lord says when we see this happen, then we will know that he is God and then he keeps his word. And so I don't think the Lord would say this and then get to the new covenant and say, well, I didn't really mean what I said. I meant something else. I believe God is faithful to his promise. I believe that God keeps his word. The covenants to Abraham and David were about a particular land with a specific border, a particular kingdom and a throne in the earthly city. And those have not been fully fulfilled. And I don't believe God promised it Then tells us in the new covenant that those specific promises of a people and a land and a throne um, were all allegory. And all the prophets of the Old Testament, every single one of them, had it wrong for thousands of years. And that they were all always, the whole time, looking in the wrong direction. The saved people of the Lord were looking for these promises to be fulfilled. And I don't think that the, all the Old Testament saints were totally wrong for thousands of years, and it wasn't until well after the apostles had died before the idea of no kingdom at all would, would, would surpass that. So I believe God keeps his promise, and that's another point to this. Another way in which we see God keeps his promise is the promised seed. So the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 was promised to Adam and Eve. The seed in whom all nations of the earth would be blessed was given to Abraham. Then you had the promise to, um, that Israel prophesied of the line of the tribe of Judah. You had the promise God made to David and his right 
that David and his uh, lineage and would come the righteous branch. So the nation could not be destroyed. Babylon wasn't going to destroy it. Persia wasn't going to destroy it. The Medes and the Persians weren't going to destroy it. Greece wasn't going to destroy it. The Roman Empire wasn't going to destroy it. Because the Messiah must be born. The branch must come forth from the root of Jesse. The second Adam must come as promised. And so the people of God could have hope, not only that God would be faithful in his promises and his covenant to the people, but why? Because it was through this, the Messiah. The Messiah had not come and God had promised that. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises of redemption. God promised a Savior. God promised to save his people, and that Savior had not yet come. And so the, the Old Testament types and the sacrifices had not yet been fulfilled. And so God keeps his work. In the history of the redemption of his people, God is going to save his elect. Though Satan uh, desired to destroy Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth and used wicked men throughout all of the Old Testament history to try to, to, to destroy this coming seed, God would see the Messiah come through Israel as he promised. The, the, the Savior would be born. The Lamb of God would come. For God would save his people from their sins. So God keeps his prominence in the covenant of redemption. So connected to this in this first vision, I think we also see another picture of salvation by sovereign grace. I think it's a valid thing to see God's life-giving, wonder-working power in salvation in this passage. Because in verse number 14, it says, And I and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then ye shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, performed it, saith the Lord. So the Lord is talking about here the fulfillment of this prophecy also being that the Lord putting his spirit in them. So this speaks to something more than the, the uh, reinstitution of a nation, but the salvation of a people. So yes, it does talk about the, king, the reinstitution of a people back into a land, but it's more than that. There's another message here of God's sovereign grace in putting his spirit into people. I believe this speaks something more than that, that but it speaks of the new birth and the new covenant. Now, what did Ezekiel consider when he saw this? Did he think about the work of regeneration? Uh, well, I'm not sure what Ezekiel thought and knew, but I think that we should expect to know a little bit more than Ezekiel did, actually, based upon the New Testament, saying that the prophets studied their own prophecies to learn more of the Messiah. But the Scriptures tell us that these mysteries have been revealed in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9 is... Um, one example of this. That's why Paul loved to be a minister of the new covenant. And why he loved to go and to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's start in verse number 8. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 8. Unto me, whom the less, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus. 
he said he was just amazed that he was made a minister according to the grace of God. That here he was, that he was given the blessing that he should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of riches of Christ to make people see the mystery that had been hidden, to see the things that, that were covered up and not yet revealed. And so we, as people of the New Testament in the Lord's churches, have been given a blessed gift in the, the New Testament scriptures and, and the blessings of the Holy Spirit that we may know these mysteries that have been revealed by God in the Old Testament. So yes, I, I think it is incorrect to say we can only see what Ezekiel saw because Ezekiel didn't have as much as we have. Ezekiel was seen afar off. But you and I are in his, the Lord's church. We are reading the Lord's word revealed by the Lord himself of the revelation of those mysteries. Colossians, there's, we won't turn there, but there's a lot in Colossians of the same thing. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 about this, the, the mystery that has been revealed. The, the hidden things that the Old Testament saints just couldn't quite see yet has been opened up for us. So yes, I think that we can see more of the God's sovereign grace and salvation in this text. In salvation, God, the Holy Spirit, quickens the dead sinner to life. We were dead in trespasses and sin, it says in Ephesians 2, and we were quickened unto life. That we by we were born dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the, the power of the devil. We were children of his wrath, even as others. But God, in his grace and his mercy, and in the Spirit's quickening power, gave us life. The Holy Spirit regenerated us, and we were born again. Well, how were we born again? Well, through the means of the word of God. The gospel that was preached unto you, it says in 1 Peter 1.25, that gospel that was preached unto you, that incorruptible seed that was preached, that some preacher, some person, some loved one, some parent, some sibling, somebody in your life told you about Jesus told you the word of God. And God the Holy Spirit quickens you from death into life, just like the skeletons went from dry bones to standing up again. Spiritually, your eyes were opened. Spiritually, you were quickened from death into life by the sovereign grace of God. I don't know what Ezekiel sounded like when he preached. I don't know if he had a an eloquent turn, I don't know, he may have stuttered. He may have, uh, may have not been very eloquent at all. It doesn't matter. Because it wasn't the power of Ezekiel's words or his convincing argument to tell those bones to get up and live. Where was the power in this? What was the power of God's word? And so as Ezekiel prophesied God's word, God in his power gave life to those bones that those bones might hear and, and respond. And so as the gospel is preached, when the Holy Spirit comes in, in his power, he gives life to a dead sinner that they can hear 
and respond to his word. If you were to ask the bones what happened, they would say, well, Ezekiel said to stand up and I stood up. You ask a sinner, well, how did the Lord save you? I heard the gospel, I heard Jesus was the Savior, and I believed, and I came, and I trusted. But it was all through the, the grace and power of God. And so I think this, birth, this passage teaches us these things. As Ezekiel preached God's word, God gave the increase and brought de- the dead to life, giving them the ability to hear and respond to the message. Well, Jesus said that we should know about the new birth from the Old Testament in John 3.10. Jesus was kind of shocked at Nicodemus. He said, what, you're supposed to be a teacher in Israel? You don't know about the new birth? This was not something that that was hidden that nobody should know about. Jesus told Nicodemus, well, this is something you ought to know about since you're a teacher. What have you been teaching if you don't know anything about the new birth? If you don't know anything about the Spirit's quickening power and salvation, what have you been teaching the people? So, yes, it's legitimate to know that the, there is power um, bringing death into life and the saving of a soul um, in this text. Uh, as, as the text Ezekiel himself talked about the Spirit's work in the New Covenant. Um, we read Ezekiel 36 this morning, so we won't turn there, but let's look at Ezekiel 11. So we already read the Ezekiel 36 passage this morning of the New Covenant, but... Look at this other text. So twice in Ezekiel, he's already talked about this sovereign work of God. Verse number 19 in chapter 11. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Doesn't that sound familiar? Well, we just read that in Ezekiel 37. That they will be God's people, he will be their God. All right, so that same, you have that same connection from the, this covenant to the next passage of the covenant to this prophecy of, of the new, uh, the, the bones coming to life. God doing a Supernatural work. Something that man can't do is replace somebody's heart with a spiritual heart. So tying all this together is not imposing my thoughts on the text or interpreting the scripture in the light of, it's just interpreting the scripture in the hot light of the whole revelation. The Old Testament prophecies are tricky because they point from the Old Testament to a mystery not yet revealed. But if a pastor refuses to take the revelation that God has given us, just because Ezekiel might not have understood that, um, that's refusing to take the key that unlocks the door just because somebody else didn't have one. Just because Ezekiel might not have had the key to unlock the door doesn't mean that we shouldn't use the one that the Lord gave us. And so we can take the light of the New Testament and see um, and understand the Old Testament. And so, yes, I believe that it is a valid thing to, to see um, salvation here in, in this text, as well as many other things. We also see, as I said, the new covenant here. This text gives us another point, understanding the future of Israel 
Though they were a broken and dead nation, God would restore them once again. They would become a holy nation. But the point of this is not Israel. Like I said, I'm a premillennialist, but the point of the Bible is not Israel. And so I don't think that Israel is the theme of the Bible because Jesus said he was the theme of the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus, not about not about Israel. So, you know, uh, a Jewish man, some, you can go to a synagogue and they can give you an hour's worth of material on, on the history of, of Israel, but Christ is the center of the Bible. So I think if we only saw Israel here, then we'd miss the point. Yes, it is concerning them. That is one of the points here. But if we say it's only about them, then we have missed, missed the purpose of the Scriptures because the Old Testament Scriptures testify of Jesus. Twice in this chapter, the Lord references His eternal covenant that references the Davidic covenant and the New Covenant and promising to give the Spirit to His people. Ezekiel points us to salvation in Jesus Christ here. And it's not allegory to see the text and preach that God saves dead sinners. It's dealing with the text, with Christ as the theme of the message, because Christ is the point in the Bible. I have a commentary at home by a very famous preacher. Um, it's on a Hebrews and one on Galatians. And in that, those commentaries, he denies the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ. He denies that truth. Now, since he wrote that, he's come to the truth and recanted that. But he said the reason that he did was he was just going through the Bible and interpreting the Scripture verse by verse by verse. And he said, well, that's what it said there. But as I studied more, I saw um, other truths. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of the problem. That it would be like going out to see the redwoods, and then you get in the forest, and you see an ant, and you get a magnifying glass, and you look at the ant, and you spend two weeks following that bug around, and you come back and try to say that you've experienced the, the forest. Well, no, if, by doing that, he would have missed the forest and the trees because he was looking at one tiny thing. So his problem was he was, he was looking at one verse alone by itself and not taking into consideration the, the whole of the Scripture. And so that's what I think we have to do as God's people is, is understand this Bible testifies of Jesus. And so, yes, it, it speaks of Israel, it speaks of many things, but ultimately it lifts and points us to Jesus Christ. So th- those are a few things in those Valley of Dry Bones, and, and quickly we're going to just look at some things in the, the couple of sticks because it's basically the same, same illustration. Because this one focuses on not the bringing back to life, but joining back together, as I've already mentioned. So God says, Ezekiel, go get you two sticks, and I want you to put them together. And those two sticks are going to be one. You're going to put Judah on her children and companions on one, and you're going to get Joseph and Ephraim on the other. And so Ezekiel's going to walk around with the stick with that writing on it. And then 
People are going to come up to Ezekiel and say, Hey, Ezekiel, what's the deal with the stick? Why are you walking around with that stick? And he's going to say, Well, this stick is a sermon. I'm glad you asked because now I'm going to preach to you. And they may have, somebody might have got around and said, Don't ask Ezekiel what that stick's about. Well, why? Because if you ask him, he's going to start preaching to you. Um, and, and that's what that was for. So they said, What's that stick, Ezekiel? Well, sit down because I'm going to tell you it's a symbol. These used to be two sticks one was Israel, one was Judah. And I joined them together, and those two sticks became one yet again. And that represents that God is going to bring the kingdom back together. It's going to be one nation. It's not going to be Judah anymore. It's going to be Israel yet again. All the tribes back together. One day, they'd be united, no longer learning the ways and living in the ways of the heathen, but living under one king of kings. But I will save them out of all the dwelling places wherein they have Sin and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. When's this going to be? Verse 24 And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Now, David's been dead for 500 years or so whenever this was written. So, how is David going to be king over them? Now, there's some discussion later on in Ezekiel about whether or not David and his glorified body will serve in the temple. But I think this passage in particular is not talking about David. And I think it's talking about the one shepherd. I think it's talking about the Lord Jesus. 2 Samuel 7, God promised David a kingdom, an an everlasting kingdom. That kingdom divided, that separated And it never was restored to the fulfillment of the promises. It never was restored back to that that united kingdom. God is faithful to keep his promise. David didn't look to himself for hope. Peter tells us that in Acts chapter 2, that David's hope wasn't that he would sit on his throne again, but his Lord would sit upon his throne And the Lord's throne, David's throne is not in heaven, it's in Jerusalem. And so David's hope was his son, his descendant, to sit upon his throne in Jerusalem. This promise is fulfilled in Christ Jesus, the son of David, the righteous branch. So this promise is fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, sits upon his throne in Jerusalem, and brings the fulfillment of his promises to fruition in that land, but not only in that land, but throughout the whole world where he will rule and reign this world in, for a thousand years. The Lord, Jesus Christ, is the point of this. Yes, they could rejoice and know that God is with them and that God is going to keep them, but the point of this is, is Christ will be the fulfillment of these promises. That the Lord will glorify himself by saving his people. He will glorify himself by bringing the fulfillment of the promises of that that particular people in that particular nation and give them what he promised to them so many millennia ago. And God will bless this nation and multiply them and the blessings that he showers upon them will be showered upon all the people that God will come, the people will come and worship the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will fulfill his promises to Abraham. He will fulfill and answer his promises to David. He will do what David could not do. He will do what 
um, Adam could not do. He will do what Abraham could not see. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the, the hope here is what Christ would do in the people. The point is Christ. When people saw that stick, they would be reminded of God's covenant faithfulness. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. God is glorified. Christ is lifted up among all the people of the earth. All of God's elect will praise him for his faithfulness and his grace. So God asks, can the bones live? Well, does this text speak? Does this text still speak? Does the word of God still speak? Yes, indeed, it speaks. It speaks loudly of God's grace to us in Christ. It speaks loudly of Jesus. And if there is no Jesus in this valley, if there is no Christ in this valley of dry bones, then it's just going to remain a valley of dry bones. If there is no Jesus here, then there is no life there. And if there is no Jesus in the sermon, then the sermon will just be a dry bones as well and lifeless. God told us many things in this text tonight. But all of it comes to us in the blessings of Christ Jesus the Lord. I pray the Lord has blessed us.